Welcome back to the TD Pod. Again, we don't remember the last time we did this. It does not matter. Jeff, very glad to be talking Baylor football with you today. Um, you know, it's been a kind of quiet spring, I think, for me. I don't know if that's been because I've been kind of detached from football or whether it's just been the vibes have been kind of quiet. But it was fun to be back out at McLean Stadium watching the team play. I know that you had family obligations and so you were not able to be there. Um, but it was good to see the, you know, the first edition of, of the fall 2023 Baylor Bears out there this past Saturday. Yeah, it was. I, I got a chance to watch this afternoon and go through, and it's uh, it takes a lot longer. I Originally, I wanted to try to get through the entire game, and then I budgeted that much time, and then I completely forgot that in a spring game, it takes twice as long because you have to do both sides of the ball. <laughs> so um, I ended up, I basically did a full breakdown of Q1, and then after that, I basically I more or less just watched the remainder of the game and, and, and took highlight notes for what really stood out to me. So, um, yeah. Great. Yeah. So obviously, you know, um, who knows? I'm not sure when exactly this will come out over the coming days, but maybe we'll have a starting quarterback announced by then. It wasn't exactly clear when Aranda said they would do that. He said, I I wasn't sure if he said like within the next week, you know, when we come back in a week, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, Well, it does matter. But point being, uh, I know that is kind of the big, the big uh, topic of discussion. We're going to run through each position group and I think kind of finish with one last hurrah on all of our thoughts on the Baylor quarterback uh, battle one and that offense. I, Go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say one thing I do want to point out on that. If they do, if they do, whenever that announcement gets made, whatever that's going to look like, I, I, I saw on Twitter, there was apparently some confusion after the press conference. I haven't actually seen the press conference, but I would point out that if they decide that they are going to go with uh, Robertson just full stop before we get into it, there will be an announcement before the transfer deadline so that he can get back out. That's what they did last spring, and I would oh, expect yeah. him to do the same shaping. So, and I believe that is May 1st. I do not know that. I can't remember those exact dates off the top of my head. But if if it's definitely not going to be shaping, I would expect to hear sooner rather than later because that's what they did. That's what they did last year, and they're going to extend shaping the same courtesy because that's also how you get the next. That's also how you get the next guy in the door, the the year after, the two years after, because you can point back and say, "This is how we treated these kids. This is how we're going to treat your son." So I would expect an announcement on that sooner rather than later if it is uh, if it's not going to be shaping. If we don't hear an announcement for a while, that probably tells you it is going to be shaping at least heading into the summer or heading into summer camp. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that way. going to resist the urge to dive straight into the QBs because we're going to save that little morsel for the end. Uh, But just kind of wanted to start with, you know, a lot of people every, every year this happens with spring game. It's like, what do we take from a spring game? You know, how do we tell who's good? Um, Is it meaningless? I think obviously it's not meaningless, um, but how much do you take from the play? I mean, it's a, it's a tough ask when you're watching an offensive line go against a defensive lineman and somebody wins the rep and you have to be able to discern with your football expert mind, um, you know, who won the rep really? Was it because the O-lineman stinks or was it because the D-lineman was great? So I just kind of curious, Jeff, or when you, when you turned on the spring game to watch it today, how do, you, how do you approach figuring out what units are actually good versus I think what comes to mind last year is we were watching – the wide receivers versus the defensive backs. And it was a very competitive battle. And it turned out that both of those units stunk. So, you know, how do you kind of prevent yourself from walking into that trap? Well, the big thing that I look for is technique. Um, you know, there's a play, there was a play. I, I, I'm trying to look through my notes. Um, it was, it was the end of the first quarter, um, like two, I think two o'clock. Yeah. Okay. I've got it right here. It, it was a two minute mark of Q1. Uh, Gabe Hall was lined up basically over the guard on the backside of a zone run 
and Elijah Ellis at the RT got across his face and got him turned. So what that tells, and I bring out that play specifically because what that play should tell anyone watching is that either Elijah Ellis is going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft 12 months from now, or Gabe Hall wasn't really trying on that play. Now, that doesn't mean that Elijah Ellis is a bad player. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. It just means that if both those players are playing hard on that play, there's no way that Ellis should be able to reach him from basically two spots over and get him turned like that. I mean, that is Tyron Smith-level play. So that's a real good example of Elijah Ellis's technique was really good on that play. He did exactly what he was supposed to. His hands were in the right spot. He got his body all the way around. But at the same token... Gabe Hall just wasn't trying on that play. I mean, there's just no other way around it. So the easiest thing to do when I look at when I look at this tape is I just look for which kids are really which kids technique looks like it has gotten significantly better and which kids technique who and then vice versa, who kind of looks lost on the play call, who looks like they are floating a bit out there, isn't decisive, and then who is really struggling to execute certain types of um or certain portions of their technique that's what i'm really looking for in a spring game because you know particularly on the offensive line they move kids all over the place i mean they had you know elijah ellis played both sides of the line they had buyers in a couple of different spots they had siraki was was only at rt but i mean they played kids all over the place on the line they're not going to do that going into the going into the fall and going into fall camp they'll solidify they'll start getting guys in spots they'll start trying to get them um you know adjusted and very comfortable with where they're going to be for the next six months but that technique is what will transfer over so that's really what i'm looking for right there more than anything else yep i mean i don't really have anything to add there i think that's exactly right you watch two guys go head to head you try and figure out who's actually doing their job well and then from there you can kind of move into like you said you know you you kind of play the odds game okay if both of these guys were going at 100 percent, you know is it more likely that elijah ellis is the number one pick or is it more likely that one of these guys was just kind of taking this playoff and i think you can kind of apply that logic to every position uh so next year i wanted to talk about just kind of an overall vibes check Uh, as i mentioned at the opening you know the spring's been a little bit quiet for me but it's been difficult for me to discern whether that's more about my personal life, you know, not paying as much attention to Baylor football in the sense of, you know, we had another, uh, we have a newborn, I started a new job, all that kind of stuff. And, but also simultaneously, I, I, I do feel like things have been a little bit quieter this spring. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with going six and seven last year, whereas last spring we were coming off hot off the Sugar Bowl win. Um, so this is something I guess coaches and, and coaching staffs all over the country have to deal with in the sense of just controlling what they can control. But, how do you kind of feel about, you know, about where the overall vibes of the team are right now? So I'll be honest, my vibes are pretty positive. Um, I, you know, it's not, I, I don't know everything that's going on. Like no, no one outside the building really knows everything that was going on, but it is also true that starting kind of in November, it, you know, we started to hear whispers that there were problems on, you know, with some of the defensive staff members. That's just the reality. Like things were not going as smoothly as they could have gone between some kids and defensive staff members. And um, I will say like my biggest takeaway from today is that that doesn't seem like it's an issue anymore because I can look at two position groups, primarily safety and linebacker as well. I can look at both of those groups and go every single, every single kid, that I am able to see on tape is playing with significantly better technique and significantly better pop in their step than they were at any point last season. That's just a statement of fact. Like that's not, 
there's no negative. Like sometimes the vibes just get off between a certain coach and kids. That's that's what happened. Doesn't mean the coach is a bad coach. Doesn't mean any of that stuff. It just means that for whatever reason, it was not working out as well as it could have. Um, and the exact reasons for that are only known to people in the building. But we can say that it was not working out as well as it was. And the vibes that you can see, particularly defensively, those guys are communicating a lot better. The technique is orders of magnitude better, particularly from the linebacker position. Like Matt Jones, Matt Jones' feet and um, Mello, and Mello in particular. Like watching those two guys be able to be able to move and to be able to uh, move in and out, particularly on some of their run fits. I mean, it was is really impressive, and it's stuff that we haven't seen from particularly Jones. I mean, we you know we got frustrated with what we thought was kind of Jones' lack of progress at certain points last year. It's hard to move off the off the ball like he did, but. There's no denying that those guys, that Matt Jones, for example, looks significantly better. You know, the safety play looks significantly better. There's so much, no other way. So to much better. <laughs> it just looks so much better. You know, I think I'm going to go back to my notes real quick. I think it was, I'm going to pull this up. Yeah. So the second play of the game, 1423 Q1. Um, Dobby, do I have that right? I just write down Bobby. the numbers. 20, Devin Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> Devin Bobby. Yes. Yeah. This is how much I'm out of it. I've got all the numbers here, but I don't have all the kids' names yet. But Bobby came crashing down on an outside zone run, and he was, you know, now they no longer let you, they don't let you, um, they want, don't let the defenders take out offensive linemen's knees, which is, I, I think, a great rule. And so this, the technique that they have him doing is almost looked like a slide. I don't know how else to describe it. It looked like a baseball slide around the corner to hold up on the edge. And he got around Elijah Ellis and basically made the play because at that point the run gets stopped and he's got to fall back into the rest of the de- rest into the um, defense or the defenders. But just seeing that technique executed extremely well on the second play, that's a really good sign. And so I take those vibes to be very good. You know, everywhere else that we look on the team, particularly with result, you know, with the skill players. They're a year older. They're going to be better. You know, the offensive line has, I think, more talent on it than it's had in a really long time. I came away very, very impressed by the possibility of the offensive line in this game. Um, same thing with the defensive front. You know, there's, there are, you know, there's still up some, some question marks there for sure. They don't, it doesn't seem to me like they have nose tackle 100% figured out yet, but they look, you know, the possibility of the front seven looks great. And it's obvious that the se- that the safeties at least are coached significantly better or reacting to the coaching, you know, we'll be generous here, are reacting to the coaching in a significantly better way this year. So I look at that and my, my vibes are a lot more positive. Uh, the last thing I'll say on that and why is, you know, you and I actually went back and forth on this a year ago because I wasn't convinced that there was going to be a big increase in offensive line play because I I actually remember talking about this last August that my fear for the offensive line was really that it was the Iowa State problem, which was every year, you know, people would say, well, the offensive line for Iowa State for like five years was oh, like they're a year older, they're going to get better. But they were just a year older. They weren't any more talented. So they didn't really get any significantly better. Um you can see the talent on the offensive line in a big way. Yeah, yeah. Some of it's still raw, but I mean, you can see it there on the two deep, on the full two deep in a way that they haven't had yet under, I think really going back to Bryles. And that's some, that's probably the, one of my biggest takeaways with there's offensive line depth there that can hold up in a way that I think is significant. So between all of that and then possible QV vibes, I know we're gonna we're pushing that off to the end. Like my vibe, my my vibe check is a lot more positive, honestly, than it was at the end of the season. It was pretty obvious what the team was gonna end up doing 
really in November. I mean, mm-hmm. it just, there wasn't much to get out of that. There was a reason I didn't go to the game, to the bowl game. I mean, I just, that, that game seemed kind of fait accompli to me. So um, my vibes are very, very positive, and I, it wouldn't surprise me if we see a massive turnaround depending on health going into the fall. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with where they're at. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the overall just kind of sense I got from the spring game was very competent. Um, just not a lot of I, the, highly competent. Yeah. Um, I was I mean, quiet competence. Oh, quiet like that competence. Just, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, there weren't, there weren't a lot of gaffes. I think that in the entire game, and this includes third stringers, you know, there were only probably two or three like obvious O-line assignment misses in the entire game, which obviously there are smaller assignment misses that are going to occur basically on every other play. Right. But I'm talking like straight up just miscommunication, letting a guy run free. That probably only happened two or three times in the entire spring game. If there's some sort of organization that wants to, you know, count that stat for every spring game in the nation, I guarantee you Baylor was one of the, you know, the best as far as, as that goes, which shows you the quality of the coaching up there from Mateos and Grimes. But yeah, I think across the board, I was really surprised by just the overall level of overall level of competence and not making big mistakes. Um, Jeff, do you want to start on the defensive side of the ball or offensive side of the ball when it comes to going through the positions? Um, let's do defense first. And I'm actually going to toss this to you because I, I can't really say much about the secondary at all because they're just... Yeah. You know, I, I got a lot of notes on linebacker play and some notes on defensive line play, but I don't really have any on secondary play. So I, I'm going to toss that to you. Like, what what did you think about secondary play yesterday? Who stood out to you in a good way or in a not so good way? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm glad you I'm glad that's the pick you made because it dovetails nicely into the into the competence part that I was just talking about. I was really expecting the DBs to be a little bit hairy. Um, I was expecting the wide receivers to really just kind of blow by a couple of the corners, the safeties to make some big mistakes, et cetera. And it was just extremely incompetent across the board. Uh, of course, there were a couple of mistakes, um, I think, particularly on the seam routes, which tells you generally, generally in this defense, if you're playing quarters, a lot of times the the seam route means that the backside safety needs to come over and help. And so that's generally an awareness and, and a communication issue. But anyway, overall, I was really impressed with the defensive back play. Um, it was again, uh, you know, I texted, I texted our little group chat and I said, you know, it's really tough for me to discern here. I don't want this to be a 2022 again. Um, you know, is the, are the defensive backs a lot better than we thought or are the wide receivers perhaps worse than we figured? The thing is, is that we really know what Monterey Baldwin is. Um, we don't exactly know what Keytron Jackson is, but from I, I watched his Arkansas tape pretty closely when he transferred, and I feel pretty confident that he's at least a Big Twelve average uh, outside re- receiver. Um, and yeah. Baylor's and Baylor's corners, you know, pretty much locked up on the outside. Um, the one comment I had to a friend of mine there was a there was a great play. Um, I don't remember when it was in the game, but it was kind of later on where Shapin rolled out and he was looking to hit Keytron Jackson on one of those like deep 12, 15 yard comeback routes on the sideline and Chateau Reed, he was, it was right in front of us on the sideline, right near us. And Chateau Reed, the entire time he was in press coverage, he held on to Keytron the entire time, stayed on top of him. And then when the comeback route came back, I mean, Chateau had, it was on him like a glove. And so I made the comments to my friend. I was like, you know, he played that perfectly, but how much of that is him just knowing the offense, basically, of the route tree that Keytron runs? 
And, you know, my friend basically said back to me, he was like, yeah, but still the technique was perfect. And that's not an easy route to cover. Uh, you're playing press, yeah. you're staying on top, uh, you're staying on top of some guy. And then you, and then you, um, are able to stick in his hip pocket when he makes it on the comeback route. So seeing that from somebody like Chateau Reed, who tests like a first round corner, I know we kind of throw those words around a lot, but I mean, he truly does. He has the size and testing of a first round corner. That that's just an example of the overall level of competence. I think Tevin Williams, the third year corner played well. Isaiah Dunson on a lot of, he's the transfer from Miami, um, was playing a lot of press coverage. I saw, one thing I did notice on that that I had in my notes was that Dunson particularly, like his technique on press was really good. Like I, there was, um, it seems, you know, last year, last year, you know, we, we, I kept, I don't even know what to say about last year's defense in a lot of ways, but (laughs) it was obvious for a lot of times that they were particularly in the first half, they were just writing these very basic zone, these zone coverage mm-hmm. concepts that you typically do not see from an Aranda defense. And I, you know, there was part of me that wondered like, you know, is, could they not get the kids to get it? Or was it a teaching issue or was it a technique issue? And the, the exact opposite appears to be happening this year. The only thing that really stood out to me was that it just kind of seems like they've decided we're going to make these cornerbacks press and they can sink or swim. And if they can't, like if they can press, there's going to be a spot. And if they can't press, they're yeah. not going to play. Yeah. And it, you know, you can mess up a lot of other things, but you have to be able to press because being able to press lets them just do so much more in so terms much. of the zone. Match that they want to do. And so it just, that seems to be the thing of we're going to press and, Yep. That's just going to be our calling card. Like we're not going to mess with anything else. And so that that did stand out to me as a as a major point of emphasis. They have spent a ton of time working on press, and they're going to seems like they are going to go back to the zone match stuff and just say we're going to do this until the end of the year and 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 figure it out. We're not going to try to do the cutesy stuff we did last year where it's we're playing really basic stuff in the first half and then we put in one or two calls at halftime to like try to squeak through you know the first. Right, you know the first six games of the season. That doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like it's going to be a little bit more sink or swim um, with with some of the calls. Yeah, I mean, uh, I wasn't obviously able to watch every cornerback rep live, and then when you're watching the TV copy, you're not able to glean that much. But I was very you, you can see the action at the line of scrimmage really well, and it was clear yeah. that they weren't just getting toasted off the line of scrimmage, and that's that's yeah. the main concern. If it's like okay, if you're going to live in press coverage all day. There is no point in pressing if the wide receiver gets a free release and then all of a sudden you're just running behind him. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. and so yeah. the, the I thought the corners it, there was a particular play I remember in, in the in the running clock in the second half, basically where uh they called up a shot for Shapin to try and hit Keytron downfield. And Dunson was just he didn't own Keytron at the line of scrimmage, but two beats into the you know, Shapin was back there for a beat or two, and Keytron was still only about six or seven yards downfield because Dunson had done just enough to keep him corralled at the line of scrimmage um and and again going back to our opening salvo of this podcast dunson was playing good technique and it didn't look like keytron was just hapless Uh, and again from all of my review of keytron's tape from arkansas the guy knows how to get off press coverage so all of that was very exciting um and kind of dovetailing into the safeties here jeff um i when I talked to Cody Alexander, interviewed him for when Powledge was hired, he mentioned that he thought that they would return to a lot more kind of basic 
Aranda quarters principles of just like protect the back end, but don't protect the back end by playing all these simple <laughs> country coverages. Uh, it's really just like install quarters, run some press, know how to do your basics really well. And that was something else I noticed. Um, I wasn't specifically watching it, but I almost never saw them spin a safety down in the box. It just looked like it was pure quarters, you know, keep yeah. those two safeties back. And we'll talk about this when we talk about the offensive side of the ball, but Baylor has a really good offensive running game and the running game did perform really well, but it wasn't like they were just absolutely destroying the front. And so that actually speaks well to a, I think like you mentioned, and that great example of Bobby on the second play of the game, the safeties were doing well coming down and run support. And then that tells you, and we can maybe shift into talking about the front here now that the front, even though they have some issues, which we're going to talk about, I think their technique was good enough to where they weren't just giving up seven yard run after seven yard run. Yeah. I, so one thing I do want to point out on the, on the, um, on the on the safeties with regards to that because you could actually see it on the tape and so when you see when you see safeties on tv copy that almost always tells you you're in cover one because they're so low that was not the case yesterday they had their safeties they were playing quarters with their safeties like at the 10 yard mark and that's why we saw basically no deep shots downfield by the way yeah yeah but i mean it's still it's still kind of crazy to have you both your safeties at the eight to 10 yard mark. And they had that in some cases. And so I, it's very, I, I don't really know what to make of it because a quarter is you're typically going to be at a 12 to 15 look just because you want the extra depth for lots and lots of reasons um, that I just don't know what to make of that, you know, because it's, are they going to have those guys both in run support, like an old school Virginia tech cover four, where it's like almost nine in the box. Cause you just keep your, two safeties like a little further back but they're both heavily all the run support um or is it that's something that they're going to just basically move them up and down from a distance off the line depending on you know the type of uh basically the opponent you know where if it's a more run heavy opponent that they're going to have them up close if you're going to if it's a if it's a um or an rpo opponent like texas they'll have them close if it's a more of a texas tech Kitley style offense, they're going to be back to the 15 yard mark. I don't really know. It's an, it's a really interesting look. I'm fascinated to see what they do with it. But yes, they were definitely in um, basically Aranda Aranda quarters. He calls it um, type four. Yeah. Um, like I just they're going to run type four, and they're just going to run that until somebody beats them on standard downs. That definitely seems like the approach that we saw yesterday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we can. Yeah, that ties us into the, oh my gosh, I think two neighbor cats are about to start fighting in my backyard. This is great TV while I try and talk. Um, But uh, that kind of ties us into the front here because one of the things that I was really curious about uh, going into this game was seeing, you know, I expected things to be very vanilla in the spring game. um, But I was curious to see what kind of fronts the defensive front was playing because, one of the one of the things we've been thinking about all offseason is the fact that it looks like they TJ Franklin looks like he's slimmed down from he was really eating his pancakes when he came in for a rule. And then these past couple of years when he's been playing this kind of uh, this tight four style as a four eye defensive end, he looks like he probably got up to about 285, 290. He looks a lot closer to 270, 265 now. So anyway, that 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 specific point to bring up. I was curious, you know, are they going to use him and the the edge players on that side, what they call the field end? Are they going to use him more as kind of a true defensive end who plays outside the offensive tackle? 
And with the Jack on the op- on the opposite side, always almost always playing on the outside of the offensive tackle, you know, are they going to play with more kind of these even fronts with two true ends? And I think you saw a little bit of that, but w- tying into what you were just saying, Jeff, it also appeared like they were just still playing a lot of tight, um, which is that kind of big boy style. And, you know, I'm curious how much of that is just, hey, let's just be vanilla in the spring, not ship, tip our hand too much to show, you know, opposing uh, opponents what we're going to be doing in the fall. Uh, but I was interested to see that, Jeff. Was that kind of what you expected? Yeah, I, it, you're not going to see anything complex in a spring game. You'd be, I mean, they're just, you're never, it would be malpractice to, to break mm-hmm. out your custom fronts in a spring game. I mean, so it's just not there. I do, I, I do agree with you because there's one issue that I saw yesterday. I mean, this is a good transition point to the, to the defensive front. Um, nose depth for a tight four looks like an issue to me. There's I don't nothing think there. That, it's just it's not it's not there yet. Now they have they have the guys at the defensive tackle. They have them at the field end, but the nose depth isn't there to run what they did last. You know the last two years. Um, there's not even just Apu Ika's like smaller stepbrother yeah. on the team. Like there's yeah. nothing even close to him. Yeah, and so if you if you don't have that, then you've got to run a lot. You just you need to run more even. And so it, I, they can get away with that based off of the size really that they have on the jacks, depending on what they want to do. You know, they can, they can put rent with Randolph size. They can put him over a tight. They can put him basically in um, over a tackle with his length and have him hold up on the run. I mean, they can just do that. So it allows them to run kind of more straightforward, even to be blunt and try to run quarters based off of that. Now, I don't know that that's what they're going to do, but based off what I saw yesterday, that's kind of what I would project that they would do. I just, they don't it does not seem to me like they have enough depth on the interior nose for them to run a lot of traditional type four because they don't have that and then they don't to me they don't really have the field in depth to really hold up there either you know i gabe hall stood out to me in a big way uh gabe hall stood out to me in a big way in that on the three plays where he was really trying hard he looked really good but he also was clearly like my goal is i've been here for 600 years my goal is to not get injured in the spring (laughs) game which that's like that's okay, y'all. Like it, it really is okay to be doing that when you're him. Um, but '98 looked really good to me. Gerald Boykins, like he really, really flashed to me, particularly from a technique perspective. He was he did a great job. Um, he did a great job both in run support technique with the way that they do the gap and a half and how they do the peaking. He did a great job on trying to hold the edge, which is he would get onto the outside and then get his hips into the hole and then just basically hold the line and force the running back away from him back into the teeth of the defense. Um, it seems like they have a guy there that they really like from a defensive end, but it looks on the other side of the field, and it really looks to me like they want to play those guys more at a seven-technique spot, particularly without the big nose. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's I think it's going to be more of like what you have said. That seems to me what we are most likely to see in a lot of places because I just don't think they have the beef to stand up. You know, um, Tenzino, Trenzino, I can't remember. Levante Tenzino, yeah. Tazino, thank you. Um, Tazino, God bless that man. You know, he got pushed back. Like, I think in the Q1, he got pushed back a lot on yep. double teams. Yep. Everyone gets taken for a ride on double teams. It happens to Jordan Davis gets taken for a ride on double teams. So, you know, it's not the end of the world. But at the same token, he he got taken for a ride a lot in some places that he shouldn't. And so, you know, when I when you look at that front, I just don't think they have the beef to basically do the full on two gapping like across the board right with in the last three years. It just does not seem like that's realistic. 
Yeah, they're looking. They're trying to take a kid from a uh, transfer from Oregon who has that Palage connection. Who's like a he? He's got the Gabe Hall frame. I actually saw him at the spring game. Uh, he's massive. So, which is interesting there because it's not a he's not a true nose tackle type. It's they're kind of. I think what we're looking at is going into the fall. They're they're probably their of their six best defensive linemen. Um, only one of those is probably a true nose. And so that kind of puts you in a spot where you're probably playing a lot more one gap attacking knifing style of defense. So it'll be interesting to see how they implement that. Um, you know, God knows that Aranda knows exactly how to do it. He just hasn't had to, he has not had to do that in, I don't know, six, seven years now. Um, probably. Well, since it, 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 they, oh, that's true. 2020. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They did. Yeah. 2020. I mean, they, they really did. It really, and it, Honestly, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, the, the issues with 2020 were more of – there were just a lot of issues in 2020. Yeah. But a lot of the biggest stuff with 2020 really was COVID. Like, you just – it was there. What they tried to do from – with some of the one-gapping stuff, particularly, like, on what they thought was going to be the play side of the run. I, it's been a while since I've watched any of that tape. But, you know, they tried to do a lot of stuff, which um, – or they tried to do some stuff that the Patriots do, which is where they'll basically take one half of the line and they'll do a one gap and the other half they'll do a two gap. That wouldn't surprise me at all if we see something like that like further into the season, like once we're into Big 12 play. Um, that makes it a lot more difficult on the linebackers, but if your linebacker plays good enough, you can get away with it. Um, but there's it there's ways to get around that. You know, I, Aranda has always viewed this as I've got to figure out the best combination of 11 guys to defeat the personnel package that I'm looking at on the other side of the line. If that's like no defensive lineman, he's going to play no defensive lineman. <laughs> if it's defensive lineman, he's going to play eight defensive linemen. And so if there's one thing that I have complete and total trust in, it is their ability to mix and match um, what they have on the roster to get um, the best possible look against opposing personnel packages. That in itself is not what I worry about with this team. Now, it just, it is going to, but it is fundamentally going to look different than it has the last two years on the front. I would be remiss uh, before we move off of the defensive line here if I didn't talk about the guy who I thought probably was the best looking defender uh, for the Baylor you know, defense yesterday, and that's the true freshman defensive lineman, Trey Wilson. Uh, I, I ranked recruits for Sikkim 365 a few months ago, and I actually had him second in the class. So I had him behind uh, Sean Tompkins, the offensive lineman from Georgia. So hopefully he's just as good as what we saw from Trey yesterday. But I know it sounds like a hot take, Jeff, but I, I really think it was the best defensive line performance I've seen from a defensive lineman at Baylor, not counting Apu Ika. Um, in five, six, seven years, um, especially for an edge player. I thought his ability to totally disrupt the run game, either when he was at the point of attack on the front side or when he was crashing through the trash on the backside. And then in the pass rush, if you look when Sawyer Robertson was having to play, uh, you know, try and throw Hail Marys at the end of the first half, the poor guy like Trey Wilson was just destroying whoever the right tackle and right guard were every time he was up against him in a three-man rush. So I don't know if you noticed that at all, Jeff, but he's this really interesting player because he's about 6'3", probably about 275, and looks like he's destined to get to about 285, 290, but plays with as good as hands as I've seen a Baylor edge defender play with in a while. It's just that's why it's run game, pass game, it doesn't matter because once he made contact with the offensive linemen, he was just discarding them and, and getting through them with terrific explosion. So I wasn't sure if he caught your eye at all, Jeff. He did that. I'm, you know, I, I just, I would be remiss if I did not point out that um, one James Lynch did in fact win the defensive okay. player. Okay. James Lynch. Yes, that's true. 
I forgot about James Lynch. Maybe, maybe, maybe not thermonuclear hot take. Maybe like you know, just just hot take. Uh, But uh, he did play very well. Uh, He, I mean, I'm gonna we'll talk about him later. But uh, I'm gonna kind of pronounce his name incorrectly right now. But uh, Miley, Miley, George um, Miley, Miley, he he did go up against him a lot. I think uh, it's it's probably best to say that uh, Mr. George um, needs a bit of seasoning, and um, being able to go up against a guy like that is going to dramatically increase your uh, win rate in a lot of ways. Now he played very very well. His hands are outstanding. I will fully agree with that. Um, he doesn't. I mean, he, he seems like he is lacking a bit of thickness, but if he can win with his hands every single play, it's not going to matter. And his hand usage was is elite. Um, and so that he is a very, very promising guy. I think he is definitely more of an interior, like B gap guy. It's interesting. They've, they have several guys on the roster now that look like old school under tackle B gap defenses. Him and Jackie Marshall. And yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's him and it's Marshall. Um, it's the kid that did the backflip off the pool that, you know, or into the pool. Oh, Kai and Robert's day. Yeah. 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 I mean, they have these kids that are just like, you know, old school B gap Tampa two under tentacles. And I don't really know what to make of that, except the fact that they're clearly stockpiling these kids and they want to use them in that position going forward. But um, I, I, I was very impressed with him. Absolutely. I, whether or not he can hold up at the point of attack, you know, over the course of the year is going to be interesting. But for a, for a freshman in that game, going up against some of the other kids that he was going up against, he played outstanding. Absolutely. Cool. Well, let's move into the inside linebackers, Jeff. I know you had some, we, we have some disagreement. I, um, I watched the game and I was really curious to see how Josh White looked. Um, and I don't consider myself an inside linebacker expert or anything, but I thought he looked really bad and I was extremely disappointed. So I'm kind of curious. I don't want to start necessarily by immediately dogging a player. I know we don't like to dwell on individual players too much, especially negatively, but he's a guy that we get asked about all the time because, you know, if you were to load his recruiting info into Baylor's page, he's one of the top recruits that Baylor's landed in the last 15 years, even though it was as a transfer. So uh, so maybe let's start with the guys who actually started the game. Um, Matt Jones, he was actually playing Mike, which I found interesting. Um, you know, I think he was always a guy who could play either Mike or will. And I think for him this year, it's more about where, you know, play him at will. If that allows you to get a better player on at Mike and then, you know, vice versa. And so what we're seeing here is that they're playing him at Mike and they had the transfer from Liberty, Mike Smith and at weak side linebacker. Um, so kind of what were your thoughts on that starting too? Did you, did you, were you able to see them at all? I, I was. So my first thought was that Matt Jones looks like a completely different player. And I, I'm just going to go and say that, that that to me seems very likely that it's a coaching-related issue. Um, I don't know what the relationship was between him and um, the previous linebackers coach, uh, who is now the defensive coordinator at Georgia. Uh, not, excuse me, not Georgia, at Auburn. <laughs> but it's obvious that it's obvious that he's playing harder and he's playing with far better technique. Now he was going to get better this year because he would have had another year under his belt, but he is playing a lot better and he looks a lot smoother. His footwork in particular is much, 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 much better. And that was always Um, the problem with him. 
that was always the problem. His footwork was all over the place. He was he he drifted a lot because he was unsure of where he was supposed to be. I think that is one reason why they put him at the mic. Uh, the mic is going to allow them to compress where he needs to be on the field. Right. So he's a lot less likely to drift. Now I, that is that's just speculation for me. I could easily be wrong, but that's kind of what I when I saw him at the mic. That's that really was my first thought, which was make it easier on him for this year. Subtract or make it the space smaller that he needs to get to with his drops and where he's got to be because he's going to be spending so much of his time in the box and trying to get the best possible angle well the other and thing then, too real quick jeff is that you know he was good at the jack I, or he had really good instincts when playing jack and the jack plays to the boundary and so does the mic and so i almost wonder if that kind of compressed space if he's just used to, that side usually only has two receivers at most so i wonder if he's kind of just used to that that feel works for him too yeah yeah, that's a great call. I mean, that's a great that's a great point. I, that could easily be it. But I, it was something that I didn't notice in terms of his movement. He felt a lot more sure. So I that that looked very positive um, at the weak side spot. You know, I'll be honest. He he didn't really stand out to me. I mean, he he Mike looked Smith. okay. Mike Smith. He looked he looked solid, but it doesn't. You know, I'm also not familiar with his game. I'm not going to lie to y'all. I don't have like in, reams of information that I can go and look at what he looked like at Liberty. I just he looked. He looked serviceable. He didn't look like he was going to pop t- to me. There yep. were two guys that looked two guys that looked to me like they had a huge amount of upside. I will say, like Smith looks like a guy that is probably just he's a classic watch pal guy. Like, yeah, I think he's a tryhard in the best sense of the he's, term. In the best sense of the term, he's going to try really hard. He's going to be in position. You're not going to see like. You're not going to see any, you know, significantly major or massive plays out of him. He's just going to be in the right spot on a consistent basis, particularly on standard downs. Yeah, um, he knows how to fit the run, which at the end of the day is is like numero uno job for an inside backer. So, so I mean, I think that's what you're going to see out of him. He's going to be he's going to be very solid depth. I think he's going to play a lot. It also is not. I, I think it's very possible that he gets passed as a starter by September. That wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, By Carmelo, but, are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, based off what I saw, I mean, yeah, Mello, Mello was the guy that that flashed to me the most on the entire defense yesterday. Um, at just his ability to knife when he triggers, he knows how to get to the point of attack. I mean, at just, and that's a very underrated skill for a linebacker, which is you know where the ball is headed. But sometimes you've got to wait to trigger so that the angle winds up best to reduce the time to make it as fast as possible to the point of attack. And he's got that. Like he got to, he gets to the point of attack with a lot of violence. He knows how to hit. He knows how to strike. Um, he's completely unafraid to strike with his face mask, which is the correct way to strike when you were a linebacker, but it also is not something that a lot of linebackers know how to do. And he can stack and shed. You know, I, there was a play. I can't. I'm, well, I mean, I'm gonna have to go back and look my notes again, but I'll go find it. But it was okay. It's 10:23 Q1. Um, Siraki. This was not the best play from him. Um, Siraki basically had got to him, you know, at the second level, and Siraki's like seven and a half feet tall and weighs <laughs> 730 pounds, and. You know, Mello just stacked him immediately, stacked him, shed him, and then got over and was able to stop the ball, uh, was able to uh, track down track down the running back on the edge. And then at the last moment, he exploded to make the tackle when he needed to, and he knew he had the force leverage against the, um, you know, against the uh, line. He didn't over-pursue and allow the cutback. 
and it just it was a great play and i like i saw that play he made like three parts of that were the great play it was the stack and shed it was the correct angle to the sidelines he did not over pursue which is what a lot of young linebackers do in that scenario is they overrun it because they want to get the stop before third down and then the running back makes the cutback he didn't do that and then when he had the guy pinned he was able to use his athleticism to explode to the sidelines and get the guy on the ground for the third down stop. Um, so he, like, he really, really stood out to me. He stood out to me more. Uh, he played better, I thought, than White. I mean, it just, oh yeah, he just did. Now, I didn't think White played. You and I disagree on this. I don't think White played poorly. I do not like. He also had the ball that like ran went away from him a bunch. He was in and out a lot. He looks to me like a kid that is still unsure of parts of the playbook and of his run fits. He did have several plays that I thought were really good in terms of he wasn't, I think people can miss with this style of defense, people can misconstrue patiently holding in your gap for floating from a linebacker because you don't, you know, a lot of times you don't want these guys to trigger immediately, particularly when they're, when they've got the backside, like you don't want to give up. You don't want to give up cutbacks. They preach that constantly. So I thought his patience was really good on a lot of stuff. His athleticism is there. Um, he also didn't flash as much as as Mello did. Like, there's just no denying that. Like, Mello, over the course of the game, I thought was the better player. Um, and that's, yeah, I don't mind saying that. I just also, I don't think that White played poorly. I just think that he didn't pop. That's the only way I can Fair phrase enough. it. Um, no, they, you know, they, they may have a different viewpoint there, but... You know, I, I also don't know what the exact run fits of uh, run fit calls are. I will say that one thing I'm waiting for f- to see from White that I have not seen from is at, at the end of the day, a linebacker has to have some sort of nose for the ball, which exactly. is you're in a crowd, you're in a group, and then all of a sudden the linebacker is there making the play. It doesn't really matter how you get there. Like you just have to get there, and make a play. That's what the inside linebackers are built to do in this defense is you've got really good instincts, go make use of them. And I have not like I see his athleticism. I see him using his top patience. I see him using his technique, but I do not see some of the instinctual stuff with White that to be honest, I would want to see at this point. Now yeah. I don't know why that is it doesn't mean he's a terrible player it doesn't mean any of that stuff but it does mean we just haven't seen it yet like we saw from uh, you know bernard or we see you know we see flashes from jones or we saw flashes from Mello or any of those type of guys like if you're looking for that level of um player you've got to have some instincts to play linebacker in the system and i we haven't quite seen that yet from white yeah all right, quick note on the star position before we move over to the offensive side of the ball, because as always, we will be running up the end of the clock as far as our time goes. But I really liked what we saw from A.J. McCarty at star. Um, they were basically what they were doing is they were playing Bryson Jackson against 12 personnel. So whenever the offense had two tight ends on the field, they play Bryson. He's bigger. You could put him up on the line of scrimmage. And then uh, whenever they played against 11 personnel with three wide receivers on the field, they put A.J. in, which makes sense. He's a former corner. It looks to me, but like by the fall, um, AJ is probably just going to be your every down guy uh, almost, you know, 90% of the time. I thought he looked really, really good. He didn't have any of the pop Petrie like plays, um, but he looks like a guy who might just be a summer and fall ball and a few games into the season away from, you know, nobody's going to be Jalen Petrie again, but I really like his nose from the ball. And he was playing he was playing like he believed in his coach um, because he was playing on his toes, feet forward, trying to make plays. He wasn't playing afraid. He was playing green as Randall likes to say. So I really liked seeing that from him. 
One guy I want to point out real quick that we didn't get to because we kind of skipped over um, Jax because Randolph's been injured and you know or he's out for the or the spring is probably a better way to put it. Um, and but Tony Awanyu, like you know, he has really struggled with some of his instinctual stuff and like warning to be a football player as opposed to just a mega athlete. But he really played well yesterday. Uh, he you know there were a bunch of times where, particularly in run support, like run support a lot of times for Aranda is not so much like. I mean, you always got to beat your guy, but it's not necessarily just making the tackle. Like, it's getting to this specific spot on the field and forcing the ball, like, to more people. And that's really, like, that's, I mean, that's a hard thing to do. Um, and Tony did that really, really well yesterday. Like, he had a lot of, on a lot of the outside zone stuff, you know, he's getting across the face of the tackle. He is beating guys to the spot. He's getting his shoulders turned correctly. He's getting his hips into the hole. Um, you know, he's, he's tracking quarterbacks correctly on rollouts, like, you you know is is he's never going to be he's never going to be a, a high sack guy that's going to generate a lot of buzz from fans in the stands it's just that's I not think his he game. can be ashton logan though if they need him to be yeah you know yeah but i you know if that if he's able to play in the fall like he did in this game today he's gonna play really well he's gonna be a very very valuable member and that he he has a flexibility the thing i like about tony is he seems to have a flexibility to him that I don't know that they have a lot elsewhere in the jacks. Like a lot of their jacks are specialists, which is, you know, Rand, like Randolph is your run stopper. You know, he's gonna he's got a little bit of a pass pass rush in him, but really, you know, it's his length and his strength, and he's the run stopper. That's what he's going to be doing. Um, Tony seems like the guy that's most likely to be able to be multiple at that spot, and so I, I am anxious to see what he, how he develops over the summer, and if this was just. You know, it also could be a case, like you said, like they go up against this offense every day. And so maybe he is just so used to this offense that yeah. he is able to execute really well against this. But when he gets into different offensive styles, he he doesn't have the ability to do that. But I, I did want to point him out because he was the other guy that I looked at and thought like he he looked like he took a significant step forward in his technique and, and overall quality from what we saw in the fall. Yeah, I thought so too, and I'm glad you pointed him out because before the game, he was a guy I had an eye on for potentially transferring after this spring, um, depending on how buried it. Yeah, exactly. So I think he, I think he has a role now, and I think that's good. Okay, Jeff, uh, go off on the O line with the knowledge that we eventually have to talk about the quarterbacks when we have 35 minutes left. So, just uh, kind of give us your full old Jeff Davis Penland 365 O line take. Limit yourself to the first two units, please. Do not talk about third stringers, uh, but otherwise, you have free reign. Um, it's the most talented two deep they've had since 2015, at least. Um, I think this is a more talented two deep than that. It could be the most raw talented two deep that they have had. I can think of in Baylor memory. Um, now they've got a lot of kids that are kids that are raw. Um, Siraki, that man is an absolute mountain and his movement skills are good. And oh my Lord, does he have to learn how to be comfortable? Jeff, I'm going to interrupt you here real quick. Uh, you're just going to start saying people's names and numbers, please. When you say them, remind the listener of what position they play and all that kind of stuff. Got that. Thank you. Sorry. So let's let's actually go back because I'm just going to start rambling. I should do this at a much at a much <laughs> better. Not just just absolutely go start ranting. Um, so two guys that really stood out to me. Uh, we'll start with the Barrington brothers because I think a lot of fans are going to be curious about them. You know, we have we have one Barrington brothers at center, the other one is at left tackle. Um, and I actually don't even know their first names. I just call them the Barrington brothers, and I've got their numbers. Uh, Cam- Campbell's at left tackle, and Clark is at center. Clark's at center. Okay. Um, so 60, 60, which is um, Clark, 
uh, the center. Uh, he played really well today. He's got a lot of bulk. His foot speed is really good. He was slow out of his stance a few times. Um, a thing that it looked like he struggled with was basically beating, you know, if there's a front, if there's a guy in the front side A gap, you know, um, Mateos has basically said, you got to make that block, son. Like, that's just his style. And he just says, you got to have more grit. I think his favorite word of all time is grit. And he just, he wants his kids to be gritty. But um, he struggled to get to that front side A gap some. And that that was, you know, that's, that's that could be an adjustment. He could be banged up. You know, he might not have been feeling well. Maybe it was just particular bad play. And again, the defense, it also could be the fact that the defense has seen these guys play this exact play 6,000 times. They run wide zone like, you know, 400 times a day in practice. So, you know, that it could be a lot more of that than anything else. But I did notice that, that he, he didn't have quite the foot speed and initial quickness to be able to get around um, to get to that point. His hand usage was outstanding. I wouldn't have expected anything less. His hands looked really great. He's able to anchor really well. They'll be able to hold up. The thing that I'm excited about with him is that he will be able to hold up on a bull rush anchor better than they've had in a long time at the center spot. I just, that's well, And that's really worth obvious. pointing out, Jeff, for the listener who might not know. I mean, this guy is like 6'5", 305, 3'10", probably, whereas Jacob Gall was, you know, 6'2", 285, 290. So just a much different yeah. player. So he's going to sacrifice some of that quickness so that he can be a little bit more powerful. Yeah. And he is, and he, I will say this, his hips are really good. Like he seems to, he has a really good knowledge of how to get his body like to the front side. It's just, if he can execute that block consistently, because everyone is going to play that against Baylor, people are going to slant strong side against Baylor with a bigger linebacker, with a bigger lineman like that and make Clark win that rep. If he can win that rep consistently and allow the uh, play side or the front side guard to climb like super fast up to the linebacker level, they're going to be able to dominate, and I don't mean that lightly. They're going to be able to dominate in the run game. Um, his growth, like based off what we've seen, if I had to pick a guy that I'm most interested in how he's going to look in the in the fall, it's going to be Clark Barrington. If he can execute that play consistently, they're really going to have something because the pat his pass rush ability and his uh, awareness on the field on a bunch of the twists and stuff was it was just better than what we've seen the last few years. I mean, it just was. There's no other way to put it. And that they have struggled. Baylor has struggled a lot in the last two years with interior pressures. It was a real big issue for GB in 2020, excuse me, in uh, 21. It was a huge issue with Shapin last year. And they were able to avoid that this year with a much better constituted interior offensive line. These guys were not getting pushed back by bull rushes or any speed to power moves in the game like that just now guys whiffed on blocks that absolutely happened but you know the play in play out these guys are just winning their blocks and they're not getting pushed back that was happening and so that's that's a really really good sign um i am anxious to see what he does next i don't know the one uh, you know if we're gonna let's go right to left because i really want to talk about my all-time favorite player on the roster he you already know who i'm talking about here you know who i'm thinking about oh yeah i don't really yeah, I don't. I don't quite know what they want to do at right guard yet. Um, they played a few guys there. I, they had a bunch of guys that looked good. I I don't know that they have anyone that they love yet there. I think that's probably the best way to phrase it. The reason for that, I think, is they have something very solid. I'm actually going to go with Ellis last. The reason for that is they. I think they have something really solid on the left side of the line. I, Byers at left guard, sold like just salt he played great yesterday his move to the left side to put him at that spot i thought he played very very well his foot speed we keep saying foot speed you know he played tackle but he's able to get up on the guard 
he's able to get up on the linebackers, excuse me. He's able to get up on linebackers yesterday consistently. Like he's just able to beat linebackers to the point of attack. And then he's able to hold up. I mean, obviously he can hold up there, but he can get there. He can engage and he can stay on the block and he's pretty sticky with his blocks. Um, you know, I just, him at left guard is the best. I think they've had a left guard there for a while. Like he just looked great. There's no other way to put it. Now he was not crazy dominant. We also didn't see him go up against, you know, any dominant interior defenders necessarily but it's also worth pointing out that you know you you did fall over in love with trey wilson trey wilson did not if my recall uh, he did go up against buyers a few times and he didn't win any reps against buyers that i can recall now he might have i just missed it but um he was very very solid there then you know out on the edge at left tackle the one thing i did notice about so this was colton is that correct campbell campbell colton campbell they're all from BYU. They, you know, they all have like the same name. It seems like. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble now. Sorry. Um, but um, you know, I, I thought he played. I thought he was very, very good. His he did have one thing that I, I don't really know what to make of it, which is they didn't. And I, I, I contrast this to I can't pronounce his last name. M, M- Bull Alvin M- Abel Abelsele, thank you, Abelsele. I contrast that. <laughs> you know, uh, they had him. They had Abelsele, who is the who's the second string left tackle, so that everyone's aware. The second string left tackle. They had him do a lot of vertical setting, and I, I'm gonna, actually I'll talk about the second string left tackle first because it's a comparison point to uh, to the starter. Um, his his field awareness was really really good. And that is, that's a hard thing for a kid his age to develop. And what I mean by that is if you do a vertical set really well, it's really, really hard to get to the quarterback because there's no easy way around you, particularly when you're his size. Like there's a, um, there's a podcast on the athletic football show that had Mitchell Swartz and, um, Newhouse, I think they got interviewed by uh, by Robert Robert Mays that came out a week or two ago. And if you're interested in offensive line play, absolutely go listen to it because um, they asked these guys the question is why why do offensive linemen that's uh, why do some high ranked offensive linemen come into the league and fail? And one of the things they really talk about is that you have to have body awareness and field awareness at the NFL level. Like no one outside of like a handful of guys is good enough to just dominate athletically at the NFL level because the defenders are too good. And so what you see from um, Ebel say, or Ebel, I say, whatever his name is. Oh, Lord. this is why I use just numbers. Call him Alvin. Just, just call him Alvin. Alvin. Um, <laughs> Alvin. What you see from Alvin here is that, you know, his, his footwork isn't great on his vertical set, but it doesn't matter because he knows exactly where he needs to get to. And because he's able to get to that spot consistently, he's able to just kind of stand in the way and not as long as he doesn't fall over, he's, he's really good on these, on his pass pro reps. Um, and the other thing that I will say that he did really well is he had a very good feel for how to get his inside shoulder in, to help out the uh, left guard on a B gap rush, which he did multiple times and just a way to move his body to help that guy out. Um, that just was really impressive. Now I say all that because what they what they were asking the other Barrington brother to do was they had him do a lot of different kinds of sets. And Mateos has done this where they'll have him he has him do some quick setting. He has, you know, they'll do the 45 degree sets. They'll have him to do this jump set. They'll have he has his tackles do vertical sets. It really depends on where the launch point is. He kind of customizes what he wants the offensive tackle to do. It's very different than what um you're used to, you know, at a um 
at the NFL level where, you know, it's third and eight and it's just, here's a vertical set. We're going to hold up and try to win the rep. He really does try to customize um, and give, you know, kind of custom sets depending on the pass rusher and the alignment and everything else. And so I say all that because some of those sets looked really good and some of them didn't always look so good, but he, his hands are very good. His length is really good. And you can see the promise in him. Now he is still just, I believe he's just a sophomore. I mean, he's younger than his brother. So he has got room to grow in a way that his brother Colton at center, like, you know, Colton is kind of close to the player he's going to be. He's going to get used to these interior. His name's Clark. What? Yeah. <laughs> Clark Colton, whatever. I can't do this, man. This is why I use numbers. I'm um, uh, 60. I'm just gonna call him 60. So when 60 is his, you know, 60s is 60 is going to be close to a complete player right now. That's not, that's just not the case for his brother. Um, and so his brother's going to be a lot better, uh, out there. He's going to get better. I really liked what he showed. He's not a finished product yet, but he's going to get there. Um, but that allows me to get to the greatest player on the team. Um, I always say this. I do say this facetiously. They, and y'all need to know something about Elijah Ellis. So I am. He and I are from the same hometown, and so I saw I saw Elijah Ellis um, as a sophomore for a game for Paris High. God, it would have been almost ten years ago at this point in a playoff game, and the kid ran like a deer. I mean, he really did. Like he was out running like secondary players to the point of attack as a sophomore in high school. And he's always had these just incredible movement skills, but his body awareness has not been there. Um, and his field awareness hasn't been there and he just hasn't been able to really put it together. And he was at right tackle in this game and he looked better than I could have conceivably imagined. Now he's not a first round NFL pick. I'm not like going all out here. I just love the kid because he's from my hometown, but he was great. I mean, he played really, really well. Uh, his 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 he has always struggled with some of his hand usage. Um, he's really struggled with punch timing, and that was still a little bit of an issue for him yesterday. But it was much, much better. Um, what he can do when we talk about movement skills, you just look at Elijah Ellis run around. You know, I think if you if you go look at the the play that Baldwin they had a screenplay where Baldwin you know took at the distance and you could see him sprinting out in front and to try to get to a block, he dives to engage the secondary player and he's able to actually execute that play. Like there are not a lot of offensive tackles that can, that can move like that in the game. And then you look at like his arm length, I think is like 37 inches. I mean, it's like outrageous. He's in the 99th percentile of arm length. So um, if, if he can continue to develop, I, he can be an absolute all big 12 caliber kid. If he can, really put it together it's always been can he put it together but you know y'all are hearing me talk about this stuff that's basically four spots on the offensive line where i think they have at least a third third string third all, all big 12 honorable mention or better player potentially that's not an exaggeration I, I think that they are that good now is there anyone that on the, that is on this line that i say like this guy this year is like a all first team all big 12 guy i don't know that that is the case but if you have four guys that could potentially play, make an audible mention or better at a spot, you have a really, really, really good offensive line. Mm-hmm. Or you have the both a really, really good offensive line. And I think that's what we saw, and I really do think that's what we saw going forward. Um, other guys that really stood out to me, Tate Williams was at Reichard. I really liked him. He was my favorite player at Reichard yesterday. Um, he just... He's really good with his hips. Um, a, a lot of times with the guards, the, uh, interior offensive linemen in this scheme, you really want to be able to get your hips 
into the hole between the defender and the ball. And because if you can do that, really, all you have to do is just slow the guy down. And that happens. He's able to do that consistently from that spot. Um, it looks to me like he still has a little bit of an upper body, upper body power issue. I don't know if that, that could just be me imagining things. I don't, you know, I don't really know for sure, but that was kind of my takeaway from watching him yesterday, but he looks, he looks like he's ready to play on the two deep, if not start. And then um, I do want to talk about Soraki a little bit. I, that, that kid, I don't know what to make of him in some ways. Like he had a, he, again, he's a mountain. He's six, eight. I think he's six, eight, three fifteen. He's massive. And, uh, that's massive, and if he's really, I mean, he 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 looks heavier than three fifteen. Um, and he tries really hard. I mean, there was a play yesterday where it's one of those spring ball plays where like a guy tries to cut it back across the field, and it looks like a bunch of seven year olds running around out there in a ball trying to chase a guy down. And like he hears Soraki like running as hard as he can laterally to like try to get an extra two yards. You know, he's really trying to impress the coach. And he gets to the point of the tack, and he just kind of like love taps the guy. And so, you know, I, you're, I'm waiting to see like his body mass. He should be throwing guys around and like breaking guys' legs out up from under them and like planting guys like under the dirt and like over the wall and stuff like that. You're not seeing that from him. But that doesn't mean it's not there. It just means that it's not there yet. Um, and clearly, like, Mateos really likes him. You can tell from the amount of run he gets. He played a lot at right tackle. Um, he played uh, both. Uh, he played just a lot at right tackle. They had a lot of guys that moved around yesterday. I think Soraki just played right tackle almost exclusively, from what I could tell. But he did get a lot of run. You know, they had fourth down play calls where they decided they were going to run over him because they wanted they. You know, Mateos wants him on. Um, you know, on a double team. I mean, just because of his mass. So it, we're going to be seeing a lot from him. I think going forward, um, he just he's got to get a little bit more. Fu in his game, I think, is probably the best way to describe it. He's probably like a super duper nice kid in real life, even though he's six eight and three fifteen. And um, if you're going to be six eight and three fifteen, you got to throw guys around a little bit. And so that's that's what we need from him. If you're going to get on a linebacker at that size, you can't get you can't have. I don't care how good Mello is, like he can't stack and shed you when you stick onto him. Like you either have to stick to him or you got to you know yeah. throw him out of the bar, so to speak. Um, and so that, that's it. But that, I think that kind of goes all the way around. Um, I will, you know, one guy that I will point out, um, again, I can't pronounce his name. Maya. Miley. Maya. Um, he's going to be good. He's not ready yet. Yeah. Um, I think that's the best way to share it, but he got, he really struggled with getting overextended. Um, a lot of times, particularly in pass pro, he would go to punch and he would get his hand swiped away or anything like that. And I mean, he would just be leaned out over his skis and the play's dead. So yeah. actually, you know, we're going to talk about shaping here in a little bit. He actually, it, he played, he played poorly enough that it's going to make fans think that shaping played more poorly than he did because he gave up a lot of interior pressures with shaping or for shaping in the game. Yeah. I mean, he just played really poorly and it's a good sign i will say this the last thing i'll say on offensive line if you only have one guy that on your two deep in a spring game that you look at and go he can't be on the two deep but he's a young guy which is what he is i mean he absolutely is a developmental project like that's fine that's offensive line in a nutshell you don't want these guys playing hopefully for four to five years um but if he can play, you know, if you've got what, if you have what they have right now, and that's, and that's what, and you know, there's only one guy that's doing that. 
you got the bones of a really, really good offensive line. And that's, I think that's what they've got. So I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very excited about this offensive line. I think they're going to have what Mateos and Grimes have wanted. This is going to be the first year in year three where I think they're going to have the type of players they want along the line just all the way through. Yep. And so I'm, I am excited to see that. So I guess before, so then now that I've ran it, we're going to, we, I know we both have stuff on QB. I'm going to toss it to you. I'm going to toss it back to you to do wide receivers. Um, Go off on wide receivers. Well, I'm just going to do running backs and wide receivers real quick because I really do want to have time for quarterback. Um, Baylor's running backs are awesome. There's a hilarious clip um, from when Jeff Grimes had his media availability a week or two ago, and one of the question askers said, it looks like y'all are going to have really great depth at running back again. And Grimes wryly smiled at him and was like, again? Like, we didn't have any depth last year is basically what he was getting at. Uh, but he was talking about how he loves the depth this year. And I think it's really clear that the top three of Dominic Richardson, um, Bryson Washington, and Richard Reese are very, very good. It's nice that they're all a little bit different, too. Um, Dominic Richardson is a little bit more explosive. He actually runs a lot like Ebner, I think. But I think he has a little bit better vision, and he always falls forward. Um, His contact is a lot better than Ebner's. Yeah, He doesn't have Ebner's even his contact right. bounces better. Yeah, he doesn't have Ebner's top end speed, but I think that just they're they're kind of the way they kind of slink through the line like that. I think is a very similar uh, running style, and he he always falls forward. He's great. Um, Bryson yeah. Bryson has subpar um, acceleration and subpar top end speed, but he's a guy that if he ever kind of turns the corner, like he's just such a load that he's always going to get at least five or six yards. Um, they've been using a lot, him a lot in short yardage. And then Richard Reese is Richard Reese. Like, I don't mean that as a slight to the guy, but I think basically what he provided last year is what he's going to be his entire time at Baylor. It's just that he won't have to carry the ball 30 times a game anymore. So he should always be at his freshest, which is really nice. Um, what, let me, I'm at, uh, Reese looked thicker to me. Like you could tell he'd gone through a season. And so that's there. I do think your comment on Reese is pretty accurate. Like he seems like a guy that like, I don't know that he's going to get significantly better at any point in his career. He's just going to be a really solid running back for the next three seasons. I don't think he's yep. anything amazing. He's just going to be solid in there. But one one thing I did want to point out, I thought Quaylen Jones's feet looked like really good yesterday. Like he, there was just a big improvement there. I don't, at least I had that in my notes. So you're cool. looking at me a little weird. No, I mean, I, I think, just, I, I think, I think he looked like he did at the end of last season, which he's a very useful player, maybe like the Tony Onyanwu of offense. Like he has a role, I think, in pass protection and stuff like that. But I don't think he's well, ever going to be a better running, a better runner than any of those three guys ahead of him. Well, I, I, the reason I, the reason I point out the footwork and why I might disagree with you is it, the, his issue had been, his issue has been for a long time, which is, he he didn't have the footwork to basically move well prior to the whole commitment. And then once the hole was there, he could basically like get right through it. And what stood out to me yesterday was he had a couple of times where he had to be patient, but he was able to keep his feet in such a way that when it was time to fire forward, he was able to fire forward a lot more explosively, which means that his contact balance through the hole was a lot better. And that... Like that stood out to me because that's the type of thing where Quaylen had a problem where it was a lot of like, you know, you go wide and all of a sudden it's like a one yard gain. And instead of that, he's able to go wide and instead of the one yard gain, he can do the three yard gain. And if he can wind out some of those plays, like that becomes a very useful thing because because of his body size and his top end speed, if he can do that consistently, then he's going to get a lot more run outside of that. And it's it's just it's overall better because I do think he is still the best pass pro guy on the team by a mile. Yeah. And 
that if they are able to do that, then all of a sudden, you know, if they can have him consistently in and not be a pass pro, that's a plus. But I just, I, I wanted to point that out because anytime going back to the thing we talked earlier about technique, when you see a guy that plays with better technique than mm-hmm. they did in the fall, always worth pointing that out. And um, he did that, like that, that was very noticeable to me that he was playing, he's playing with better technique and I think a better player now than he was four months ago. Yep. And, you know, obviously Baylor didn't want to lose Juice Johnson. He's the, uh, he was the running back coach who's now like the passing game coordinator at Tech. But the new, the new guy, AJ Stewart, seems like a, the real deal. Just from being around him, you kind of get that it factor from coaches. Um, when I've been around him a few times, he seems like the real deal. All right. I'm literally just going to briefly talk about wide receivers so we can have some, some quarterback time here. But we know what Monterey Baldwin is. If he's healthy, he's one of the, uh, you know, I don't really know all the wide receivers in the Big 12 at this moment, but he's certainly a, a, at least a second team all Big 12 quality wide receiver. Uh, Keetron Jackson only had a couple of targets. Um, you know, we'll see how that develops. I've heard that he kind of lit it up the entire camp. Um, so we'll see how that develops going into the fall. But I've, as I said earlier in this podcast, I'm pretty confident in him being at least a Big 12 average wide receiver on the outside. And then two of their guys who they're going to count on this year a lot, um, Jordan Neighbors and Armani Winfield, were not healthy. So uh, we haven't even gotten to tight ends yet, but. I think it's last year what we were saying, hey, if they can get at least two guys playing really well, it's not going to matter because their tight ends are so good. This year, the tight ends are even better. And truly, if they can just get two guys playing really well at wide receiver, I think that's enough. So um, I, I know there's a lot more to be said about wide receivers. We just don't have time. Uh, we got to move on to quarterback. Yeah. Go and, ahead, Jeff. Uh, on, like Dabney and Kelsey, like I think they've got they got tight end depth. And I, I I I say that like that's a big announcement, but it, it tight end depth's hard to really build up, y'all. Like oh, yeah. it just tight ends. Three won't. very, very good tight ends this year. They have three very, very good tight ends. They're gonna be able to hold up with depth like they weren't able to last year. I think that they um you know, I Ben Sims was a great wide was a great receiving wide receiver. He just to be blunt, like he didn't always have it from a blocking perspective. Like it just yeah. wasn't as good as it needed to be sometimes. Um, and if he doesn't get drafted, that's going to be why it's not because of his receiving skills. Um, but that's really not the issue with the three guys they've got right now. Like they can put, they can run two tight ends and either deploy those guys or they can basically, you know, run and have quite literally like seven full guys borderline, like five offensive linemen and two high quality, uh, blocking tight ends in the game. That is going to make them very difficult to deal with on standard downs throughout the Big 12. And I think yeah. the offense is going to look significantly, even though they didn't have the wide receiver play last year, the offense is going to look significantly better in the fall with that tight end, basically tight end depth. So, okay, that's all I was going to say on that. Yeah, that's all good. Yeah, they're all great players. I mean, I think Roberts basically is Ben Sims, but just a better blocker. Um, and so to be able to get that out of the portal was a massive ad. Um, he, looks like a future, he looks like a future WWE wrestler to me. Like he, he's got the name. <laughs> Ace looks like that. He's going to grow the locks out, and you know he's going to be making a lot of money as a wrestler. Yep. All right, Jeff. Quarterbacks. Um, I were you able to were you able to watch the little supercuts that I put together of both guys? I did watch, I did watch the supercuts. Um, and so I I'm did, curious, kind I, of I'm, your general impression. I, I one reason I liked doing that is because you're able to watch them both back to back in rapid succession, and I think it kind of really helps you glean the similarities and differences between them. So, what is your reaction to? What I mean by that for the listener is that 
on uh, on Twitter, I put it out there. Uh, every every throw or run that the quarterback had in the game, I, I you know I spliced them together, um, so you're able to see all of what Shapin and Robertson did in just a couple minutes. So, Jeff, what was your reaction to the quarterback play? Um. So the my single biggest takeaway, and I wrote this all over my notes, is that the height issue is significant. And what I mean by that is, I don't know, that's probably not what the, if you're an average fan listening to this, that's probably not the first thing you were thinking that I was going to say, one of them's a lot taller than the other. But <laughs> Robertson, like Robertson is like six, three and a half, I think, um, almost six, four. He looks it on tape. He might not be a full six, four. But that's, I mean, he certainly is significantly taller than Shapin. And what it allows them to do is that they don't have to move the pocket for him. Like they can just have a drop back pass that's a three step quick drop and he can turn it loose and he does. They do not have to move the pocket for him. What they have to do is shape him because he is short. I mean, I think he's probably realistically like five, nine, maybe five, ten. Oh, no, he's like five, eleven at least, Jeff, but he's not taller than six feet. Yeah, no, for sure. I've been standing right next to him. Yeah, he's five eleven at least, but he's not taller than six feet. That's only he's five, he's between five eleven and six foot. I'll, I'll put it that much. <laughs> um, but they have to move the pocket for him. Like he cannot, he can't see over the interior guys. He has struggled with it last year. Like it was a problem for them. Like they have to drop him back. They have to drop him way back on some of these things where his his release point is like nine to eleven, sometimes thirteen yards deep on some of these like massive, massive play action shots and so because they have to move the pocket for him it really simplifies what the defense has to do the reason they do so many rollouts with him is that you know they want to try to get the defense moving side to side the other reason is they have to move the pocket for him he's not tall enough to stand behind like colton i'm gonna call him colton but you know now that's gonna be a joke i have to call him colton the rest of my life <laughs> but he's not tall enough to stand behind the barrington brother who is six five three hundred that's five inches that he's looking he's got to get over if he really is even close to six feet. I mean, that's a lot of mass that he can't see through. And there's just no other way to put it. Like you can't see the angles for those throws. Well, when you're too short and what it looks like to me is that they have a high problem with him because they call the plays differently. I mean, they really do. They don't give him those three quick step drops and then the ball comes out. Or if they do, he just can't execute them because of his height. And so he has to be on the move. And I think something that I did not realize last year that seemed very obvious to me on tape from watching this is that because he is always on the move, he doesn't know how to settle down and release the ball well. You know, everything is very a, frenetic with him. Everything is so frenetic with him. And he had a play, he had a play where, to be blunt, somebody gave up a pressure. He had to move off a spot. But he's kind of bouncing around like a jitterbug and then he moves up into the pocket and he doesn't reset. He tries to throw the ball like a baseball player and he misses a wide open Josh Cameron on a deep dig. It's like in this, it's like at the start of the second quarter. I can't remember when it was, but it's a play he's got to make and he missed the throw and he missed the throw because he's dancing around with his body. And I don't know. I, I, I don't know any other way to get him to calm down in the pocket and I, that to me is the biggest issue is that he's not, he's just not calm in the pocket. He really does dance around. And the biggest difference to me when I look at Robertson is that he only moves when he has to, right? He gets back, right. he's gets to his point. He's at his release point. He will move. Occasionally he'll drift for a better angle on a throw, but he's not dancing around. 
And so because he's not dancing around, when it's time to fire, he fires and he's able to rotate from his feet, starting with his, you know, his feet are in the ground. Y'all have heard me talk about this before. Feet are in the ground, then his hips rotate first, and then it's this triple weaver action of like hips, then elbow, and then finally the arm as it whips around and the ball comes out. But he's able to just do that consistently because he's not dancing around. He's not up in the air. He's not doing any of this stuff. And so that to me was the that to me is the biggest deal. I don't to me it's a height issue more than anything else. I think that he's I think he's just too short. I just don't know where to put it. I think he's too short. And I'm talking about um shaping. And that just dramatically affects what they can do from a play calling perspective. Um and as a res- you know, it dramatically affects what they can do from a play calling perspective. And it just means that when he needs to release the ball, if he doesn't have literally an ocean of grass in front of him, he's up in the air and like rotating and flinging and like trying to get the ball out. And he's just missing throws he can't miss. Um, there's a, and there's I don't- a throw, and uh, you probably didn't get to it, Jeff, because it was really late in the game. Um, but he tries to hit a field rail. So, you know, a really, really long throw. And he has a totally clean pocket. And, the the base and the footwork and the motion is just it, it's it's as if there was somebody right in his face it's just not clean and it's actually funny on the broadcast uh uh tape john morris is like wow you know shapen really has an arm because he didn't even use his you know body there you know he didn't say exactly that but that's basically what he said but it, you know, you're kind of thinking when you're watching it's like why is he not using his body like the, the pocket is totally clean um, so yeah, so that, that has kind of been his problem and it appears to that it remains a problem for him. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I, I, we're not in the room. You know, I, I think that a lot of fans got really down shaping at the end of last year. I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they had huge injuries and just some really, to be blunt, underperforming guys at skill positions I, I don't there's not any doubt in that in my mind and you know, had some really important players that were injured Baldwin was injured I mean they just on and on and on they didn't have the guys they needed to be deployed but his his inability to stay calm in the pocket and then rotate correctly like I know that it's only a handful of plays a game where you get all of those things that line up together but it's still there and it just like it just his his best throws. Now he I will say this like he had I say all this his best his best stuff is better than Robertson's best stuff. Of course, that yeah, was he, his arm talent allows him to have higher highs, no doubt. I mean, he just has a much better arm than Robertson does. Yes, he does. That's, I don't think there's any doubt about like people are going to look at Robertson. I think they're going to think that don't don't fall into the trap that because he's a bigger kid that he's the Art Bryles. Look at my gargantuan arm. Like I'm going to throw it 90 yards in the air. He's not that kid. But he is like he has a better like he has more arm talent than Robertson. I think that's pretty like like you said that's obvious from watching it. But it's not consistent. I mean, it's just not. And I don't like I don't know how you I don't know how you get that out of him without every play being a rollout to his right. Like that's the only time where it gets consistent is when it's on a rollout to its right for Shapen. Whereas they just can't get consistent throws from him in the pocket. I mean that just. I mean, if they were consistent, we would see it. There's just why no way to put it. Why do you think they're about to name him the starter, Jeff? Why, why do you think that is? I mean, obviously that's not – we don't know that, but I think I would bet a lot of money on that right now. So what do you think's behind that? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, it's very – like I need to be very excruciating, explicitly clear on this. I am not in the room. I'm not in the room. Okay? Y'all need to take everything I say with a massive, massive grain of salt. 
I am not in the room for whatever reason. And there are, I'm sure, a lot of good reasons. And not including, we have heard, I have heard stories and I have no reason to doubt them because I've also heard these people tell me who isn't working hard. But I have heard how hard Shapin works, like Shapin grinds. And that is a requirement for a quarterback. I mean, he is a grinder. There's no question about it. He wants to get better and he works really, really hard at getting better. Um, I do like, I also think that his arm talent gives them the ability, if he can figure out how to calm down, it allows them to stretch the field and quite frankly in ways that there were some throws that I, I wanted Robertson to make yesterday where he can't make those throws and everything on talent. Like he can't get it out. There were a couple of field out deep field outs where I'm looking at it and going like, if you had, like if you could plant and really gun that ball, that would have been a completion and it's not there. Like there's not, this is not, this is also a case of like, the new guy is better a lot of times, I think, when we look at Robertson. So I think they're looking at the upside of Shapin, which with his arm talent and with his movement skills, I think I, I don't think that that's made up. I really don't. And they're looking at that and trusting to if the skill position players are better and the offensive line is better and it gives him more space in front of his feet, that he can be a better player you know, over the course of the season and, and grind out some of these issues that he's had. I don't necessarily think that's that's not an incorrect take. Like quarterbacks get better, players get better. This is the type of thing that I do think a quarterback can do and get better with. But at the same time, I keep looking at him and I think you gotta stop dancing around like that, man. Like I just don't know any way to put it. Like it just it makes him inconsistent and they cannot trust that he can execute mechanically on a throw. And when he gets the throws right, they're gorgeous. And he had a seam route yesterday that was like, I mean, it's just fabulous. Like he was on the back shoulder away from the, uh, away from the backside, um, away from the backside safety that was coming over. I mean, there was like a two square foot box where he could get that ball. It's 30 yards down the field and he nailed it. It was a perfect, perfect throw. It was also one of like three perfect throws to go along with like five to seven really terrible throws in the game. And I don't know at a certain point, like you, the co- like it's up to the coaches to go, do we want to just live with these five to seven really bad plays? Because the upside with these other on the other three to five on the other five to seven plays is 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 just better. And I that that's a coaching decision, and that's just one they're going to make. My gut also tells me that they're going to do it because he is. I think he's. I mean, they the coaching staff has said this. He reminds everyone of Zach Wilson. He plays like Zach Wilson. There's a reason Zach Wilson is going to be out of the league in a year. But Zach Wilson was a phenomenal college quarterback. There's no doubt about that. So if they can get anything like what they got out of Zach Wilson, that's a better college quarterback than probably what Robertson's like top upside is, based off what I saw yesterday. I don't think that's false. The question is, can you actually get that out of him? And I, I, I just don't know. Yeah, it's it's tough because. All of what you said, I think, is true, um, but so much of so much of my analysis kind of comes back to uh, this is this is a lot like the Shapin versus GB uh, Gary Bohannon discussion we had last year, uh, but just not as magnified in the sense that Sawyer really does give you the ability to actually run the ball on like a down to down basis, uh, run the ball with him at quarterback. And so yeah. Shapin needs to be demonstrably better and more consistent as a thrower uh, than Robertson, I think, then to make up for that justification for 
him not being able to run the ball at all. And so, you know, Sawyer is always going to be able to attack that eighth or ninth defender in the box by being able to run, uh, you know, run off them where Shapin is never going to be able to do that. And so the decision I think has to be, okay, Shapin needs to be demonstrably better as a passer. And maybe this spring, that's what he showed. Um, but in the spring game, it definitely wasn't there. Uh, it looked like more of the same for him. And so that is why, you know, uh, as a kind of a capper here, Jeff, um, I, I don't understand what I, I understand the arguments for why you name shape in the start at this point. You, you get the team buy-in, you kind of rally behind one guy, you can build the offense around him, et cetera. But given what we knew about how long it was going to take Robertson to learn the offense, um, I, I don't see why we don't just push this into the fall uh, and, you know, see what things look like then. Uh, of course, I don't have the temperature of the room, of the team, et cetera. Um, but it appears very, very close to me. Uh, I charted it all out. I have an article coming out for 365 where I charted each of their throws. And basically when you kind of tally up their point totals, it's a crude system, but it was more or less negligible, uh, negligibly different. And so I'm kind of curious of, Given that performance, uh, cool. if it's pretty close to the same, you know, naming shape in the starter at this point when you know that Robertson is likely to improve a lot over the summer and fall, uh, it's a bit curious to me. Well, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna qualify that. I will push back on that a little, which is uh, Robertson is gonna improve. It's not unexpected that that Shapin can improve as well. Like I just, he's not. I think fans are gonna look at that and go, he's a finished product. The stuff that he struggles with is not. It's not unfixable. I mean, it's just, it, it, it why, is, why wasn't it fixed this spring then, Jeff? That's what I don't understand. You know, it, it's, it, it's the same stuff. Well, I, well, I, I'm, I'm going to push back on that. This is not, this is not an issue of like learning a better technique to like get around a, a, this is, you're not a safety, like trying to learn a, a new technique to get around the offensive lineman by doing a baseball slide. It's not that like you need like quarterbacking quarterbacking is a, you need reps, you just need a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot of reps. This isn't a Charlie Brewer situation where Brewer's arm was just like Brewer's arm and body were toast after really 2018. Like he came in, he had the one month in early 2019 where he was healthy, but because he literally could not stop getting concussed by literally anything that moved, um, you know, he got banged up in October of 2019. And I mean, he just, he couldn't play football real anymore after that. I mean, he just, somehow he he was just around and he was super tough and we we don't need to do charlie brewer again but brewer was fundamentally capped out his issues were not fixable at that point um shapen's issues are 100 like these are all things that can improve with more time and particularly when i say this more time with a clean pocket like i, I, I get it do, i get it jeff and, but i come yeah. back i come back to that throw in the second half in the spring game with a totally clean pocket, he throws down the field, and he, like I said, you you would not know that pocket was clean because everything was so messy with his action. and And I I, I understand what you're saying, but um, I just don't buy it at this point, honestly. Like I think we can see marginal improvement, but um, I think the idea that he's ever going to be a clean footwork guy that can work from the pocket well, I don't is difficult. He, I, I so this is also something I'll point out, like. I don't think he has to be a clean footwork guy. Of course, like not, he just yeah. that, he didn't have. He's to, already not, I mean, he's already a good college quarterback with terrible feet. You know, he's. I think at worst he's good. So the question that again to reframe all this, it's like, can he become great essentially? 
I think, and that is where I do think there's a real chance. Like, if you go back and watch Zach Wilson, like Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson had the kind of the Art Browse thing where the system made him look a lot better than he really was. Like that the Jets draft were stupid enough to draft him at number two has no bearing on the fact that he was a great college quarterback for BYU because he was a great college quarterback for BYU. He had the arm talent and the mobility skills to throw off platform and to make some really, really great deep throws. If the offensive line is good enough, if they can get what they had, I guess that would have been what, 2019, 2020 at BYU, but those two years he was there. Yeah. Those two years he was there, you know, they had stuff where he had like, you know, they could have parked a damn limousine in the back in the backfield. He had so much space. You know, if the offensive line is able to execute at that level, then, yeah, you want the guy with more arm talent to try to be able to throw the ball 60 yards down the field and just stretch vertically in a way that Art Bryles did. We don't see that in the offense because the offensive line hasn't been able to hold up yet. Now, maybe this is the year they're finally able to do that and we get that. But and I, one thing I will say again, like the running, the running threat from Robertson is, is it is real. Like that's a hundred percent accurate. And it's not something he that's worth really good on saying. that zone read. I mean, it was phenomenal. Really good on his own read. Um, but I, I do like if, if y'all think that Zach Wilson and I will, I will, this hill, I will die on. If y'all don't think Zach Wilson is like a top 40 QB, you don't watch enough college football. There's just no other way to put that. Like, if you don't think he's a top 40 college QB. You mean Blake Chapin, sorry. <laughs> who did I say? Well, you said Zach Wilson. <laughs> if you don't think, I'll say top 50. If you don't think Chapin's a top 50 QB, you're not watching enough college football. That's I just agree. the bottom line. And so do you, do you take, you know, in this case, is it, even if he's the number 40, like, do you take the 40th best college quarterback for a guy that, again, is unproven? I mean, I think he shows a lot of promise, but he is unproven um, in Robertson. And do you move directly towards him? Like, I, you know, if I, I'm being honest, like, if I'm Miranda and I'm looking at the team and I'm looking at what I've got, I mean, I, I, I kind of talked myself into this just by debating this with you because I was more on the fence, but I, I think I would stick with Shapin. I, I really would. Like, I just, you have two guys, like, God bless the man, but my, my kid from Texarkana, first of all, I don't like anybody from Texarkana. If you're from, from Texarkana, I'm sorry, but I don't. So it's hard for me to like this, their third stringer, uh, Mick, Mick Harrison. I can't remember his last name. McHenry. Specific. Yeah. McHenry, thank you. Um, that, um, you know, I mean, like, if he's going into the season as your second string guy, like, that's that's highly problematic. Um, he'll get there, but he's not there yet. Um, but, you know, if I'm, if I am Aranda and I think that it's, this is not a case where they wanted, they fundamentally wanted to go in a different direction. Like last year, Shaban had a lot more throwing upside than they, than they thought. And I would also love to get, but I also love to get Aranda in the room and give him some truth serum and say, would you do that over again? Knowing what you know now, knowing what the struggles were with the wide receivers, would you have done that? Or would you have taken the senior leader and given him another year to develop? I don't know that that would have been the same choice. So what, like what they're doing right now, I like, I think it's a, I, it doesn't, it just doesn't bother me if it's shaping. Like it's honestly the move I would make. I would take it into the fall and see where they're at and see, because again, I think his issues that he has are fixable. If they can get, and this is the last thing I'll say on this, fans have to remember this. They are not, a spring game is not optimized to make the QB feel good. A spring game is optimized to try to get as many kids as reps in different spots as possible so the coaches can see where those kids are at. So in a position like quarterback where 
you need everything working well around you at the college level to be able to support that guy as much as possible. That was not the environment yesterday. You know, they, like I said this earlier, but uh, Maya, I mean, I think he had th- at least three to four plays that were literally DOA because he gives up an immediate interior pressure and there's nothing shape we can do about that. Um, and so like, I, I, given all of that, I would throw a note of caution on that. Like I, if it was me, it would probably be shaping. It wouldn't surprise me as Robertson to me. It's like 55% shaping 45% Robertson. What would it be for you? I guess that's how it'd be 55% prediction. Prediction? If I was to do it, I not prediction. I would say I personally am 55% that Shapin is the right choice, 45% that Robertson is. So I would go with Shapin. What is your percentage on that? My my percentage is I would just 100% just push it till game one of the fall. Like I, I just – I don't understand what the point of doing this right now is. So uh, I know that's kind of a non-answer. Um, but, get, you know, and that's where it's tough. Um, you know, we have the information of watching Shapin last year and, and – we only have the spring game, which each guy had about 20 throws. Um, given what I saw in the spring game, I'd rather bet on the upside of Robertson continuing to learn the offense and being able to use his legs. Um, but, you know, honestly, I, the, this is, I, I would kick the can. Um, I don't think that a decision needs to be made right now. And I think that a coach, you know, I think the staff should be able to handle kicking it down the road in the sense of, I don't think, the culture is going to fall apart if you don't, you know, kind of anoint a leader right now, you know, that's difficult for me to say from the outside. Um, but that, you know, this feels like it's a normal thing for there to be a QB competition into the fall camp. So I, I feel that just feels like the, the decision to me. Um, let's do, let's do like gut check on over under for wins. Right okay. Before we got to go. Okay. Uh, when I watched the team in person, it looked like an eight win team. Uh, that's kind of how it felt to me. Um, I think the upside is there. If the quarterback play gets better, neither of those guys were playing at a level that made me think anything much higher. Um, but if I, if either Shapin or Robertson can improve by the fall, I think this is pretty easily get you into nine, 10, 11 win territory, but the overall competence combined with eight home games that looked like an eight win team to me at the moment with obviously room to grow and or fall, I suppose, but um, room to go. I think if the quarterback, I, the the offensive running game looks so good and the defense looks competent enough that it looks like a, a solid floor of a six or seven win team. And I think they can get higher if the passing game can really uh, complement the running game. Yeah, I, for me, I'm going to go with – I think they're a nine-win team right now. Um, I I was really – I'm really optimistic about the offensive line. Like, I, I look at I look at that offensive line, and then I kind of look at the way the schedule falls out. You know, they have, they have Texas that's like September 23rd, and they've got Utah. If they can figure out how to get through those the first four games at like three and one and not two and two, and you know they Utah and Texas are both home games. If they can get through that like three and one, like that, they're going to be able to develop. We we have a lot of evidence that we have a lot of evidence that that, that Aranda teams get significantly better over the course of the season. Like they just they just do, 
And I just that that seems very likely to me to happen again this year. So I, what particularly when I look at like the um, offensive line, those guys gelling together and then the defensive secondary as well, like that seems to me a situation where the team is going to be a lot better on November 10th than they are on September 10th. So um, if they if they can get through those first four games, three and one, then I you know, I think they're going to be real well. I think they're a nine-win team. I don't think this is kind of weird to say for a guy that feels pretty comfortable like projecting nine wins. Um, I also don't know how they get to eleven. Like I feel they feel kind of capped to me right now because they have there are a couple areas where I just don't know that they have enough dudes to be able to really push it over the line. I could be wrong on that, but this feels like an eight to nine win team to me. I I would say I would put it at eight and a half, and I would take it over. All right. Well, we're going to dive a lot more into that over the coming months, no doubt. Um, but Jeff, we we just crushed it for an hour 35. I think an hour 25 of that was you talking offensive line. But, you know, it's kind of what we signed up for. Right. So yep. uh, uh, happy to happy to talk with you again. And hopefully you're able to find some of this a little bit interesting and not all of it went, you know, was too inane and uh, and kind of in the weeds. But again, this is what you signed up for. So, Jeff, until next time. Thanks, y'all.